everybody, and welcome to Ready Enable, a podcast for the girls, by the girls, where we help you make Torah practical. Today, we have with us Mrs. Hannah Margulies. Um, Hannah Margulies writes for Chabad.org. She's an international motivational speaker, and she has also written a book about her life story. It's available on Amazon, and it's called jumping in puddles and it's a transformational memoir she also has a daily tanya series and other inspirational videos on her website called hanamargulis.org that's c-h-a-n-a-m-a-r-g-u-l-i-e-s.org um hi hana would you please be able to tell us a bit about yourself and your story where you're from how you're raised Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. So I grew up on an organic farm outside of Toronto, like real nice farm life, chickens, you know, walking up the hill to catch the school bus. Um, Me and my siblings were the only Jewish kids in our entire school. Mm -hmm. And so being Jewish growing up was something that made me feel very special and different and unique. And it was really my parents doing that. My mother would come in every single Jewish holiday and teach my entire class um about the holiday and so that's how that was my introduction to Judaism the beginning of my Jewish education and so for me it was all automatic shluchas like I'd learned what a dreidel was and then I'd go play with it with my class like it was um the beginning of my Jewish education was already just automatically getting to share it and something that made us feel really proud and so we were raised in this really sweet way of being in nature being with animals and really I did not know a lot about Judaism growing up, but my parents mm-hmm. taught us that whatever we did know about Judaism was something that was joyful. Like I remember like driving to Shul on Yom Kippur and like it was so much fun. We got like pizza in the back seat. Like it was something exciting. Like we didn't know exactly what it was, but it was something exciting. And like Sukkot, we'd always build a sukkah out of like, you know, the reeds that grew by the pond and cutting down a birch. Well, birch is pretty like rare actually. So probably more like a pine tree or something like that and decorating with gourds that we grew in the garden. So it was very like hands-on Judaism. That's really interesting. And so like you had your family was like traditional, you would say? I wouldn't put us in any box. I don't think we belong in I don't think we'd fit in any box. Um, neither does a shem, so it's okay. Um, but really it was more that whatever my parents knew, like they had been taught to them from their parents, or they'd heard about it from Judaism, they wanted to give to us. Like it's an inheritance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like the first possible we teach a child is you're rich, right? It's an yeah. inheritance. And so my parents, whatever they had, they felt was important to give to us. No, they didn't. It wasn't like organized. It wasn't like, okay, now there's this holiday, now there's that holiday. Like whatever they knew about, they tried to package for us in a beautiful way. But it wasn't mm-hmm. um, formal. It was not formal in any way. So what brought you to becoming from great question um well definitely Hashem Hashem loves his kids and has interesting ways of bringing us to Torah really I was looking for something more and Mm. I you know had kind of like maxed out on like my view of success as like you know just like that teenager like okay I got to have this experience I got to have that experience I got to have these cool friends I got to do these cool things like now what like, I got to do everything yeah. my animals want to do, basically. It's like, okay, now what? Like, what else is there? And so yeah. I was really just looking for that feeling of, like, I know there has to be more to life than this. And I want to know what it is. And I feel like the word facade comes to mind. Like, Hashem creates mm-hmm. true pleasures in life. And then he creates, like, the counterfeit, the facade. 
And like mm-hmm. I'd experienced so many different facades, even like in a spiritual way, like really amazing meditation practices. And they were so amazing, but they weren't it. And I was really just looking for for the real deal. And for me, that also meant like I was very much into meditation mm-hmm. and I was studying very much in a Buddhist sense. Yeah. And for me, I wanted like, where's the real meditation? Like, where's the meditation I can do? Not just when I'm studying with like these awesome monks, but I can do like in the middle of a busy day. And for me, starting to learn with um, a Rebbitzin after at an after school program, I saw like she had this inner calm, this inner patience, this inner stability of knowing who she was and being connected to God that she could carry with her. She was putting dinner on the table for all her kids or, mm-hmm. you know, she could answer me really calmly in the middle of like carpool craziness. We're just like having a chat as she picked up her kids, just like like this really like calm presence amidst utmost chaos. So for me, that was seeing that kind of integrative piece that I was really looking for in my meditation practice, but seeing it in the midst of every day, that really um, kickstarted my Jewish journey. But I won't say like I became from overnight. Like I really did things as experiments. Like it was like, why not? You know, like the Rebbitzin told me like, there's this idea of modesty and it's concealing in order to reveal. Like concealing what? what? Like, what is that? Like, okay, so concealing part of my physicality, not all of it, but an aspect in order to reveal the true me. So that's a great idea, but like, is it true? And so I just started wearing skirts to school once a week, like sneeze Tuesdays, like, let's just see. And I did see, I felt more confident. I saw that people looked at me differently. I was treated with more respect. Like, let's just try this idea of Shabbat. Like she says, it's like a mindfulness retreat for 25 hours. Like, why not? I go on those anyways, you know? So it was really this, this experimenting. So how old were you when you started um like doing these things? Um I was probably 14, 15, like throughout all of wow. high school. Wow. That's very young. And did your did you encounter like any pushback from your parents or friends about the choices you made? Like how did you deal with yeah. it if any? Great question. Um yeah, definitely. And I think any journey worth doing we will get pushback. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's the testament that you're doing something right. Um, that you get that pushback. Um, mm-hmm. and so definitely like it was a real barometer of like who are my true friends? Cause just because mm-hmm. I can't go to the party, you know, Friday night, so I'm not your friend anymore. Like it yeah. really showed me like who my true friends were. Um, and also I was dressing weird, like, okay, I'm dressing modestly all of a sudden, like for like now I know it's beautiful and it's awesome, but at the time it was weird. It was totally different than what everyone else was doing, which also kind of showed me who my true friends were yeah. um which really interesting actually like the other like muslim girls at school like we were like in our like sneeze outfits and like we started like bonding over that like it did create these friendships that were more soul-based than just yeah. you know we're part of the click and in terms of my family my family had good questions like mm-hmm. i remember um no my family was not happy about it at first but the questions they actually they asked me actually allowed me to explore my judaism in a deeper way and made me think harder so, for example, once my mother and dad were like, um, <laughs> why can't you turn on a light on Shabbat? Like, what's wrong with the fridge light all of a sudden? Like, does God really care about a light? And so after Shabbat, like, I called my rabbi and was like, does God care about if I turn on the light or not? Like, who cares? And he said very simply that, you know, when you're married, like, you know how your spouse likes their eggs. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like 14. Like, what are you telling me? But he said, it's loves in the details right? The mm-hmm. fact that someone cares about the details shows that they care about you. The fact that Hashem cares about the details of our life and the little things they do and the things that seem so minutia, it's like, 
how could the infinite God be involved in my like little personal life? But that actually shows in the love and the care. And the fact that mm-hmm. I care about what Hashem cares about, which is the light being turned on or off, that shows on me caring about the details like of Hashem's love language, which are the mitzvahs. Yeah. So through my parents' questions, I would go and research and, you know, Chabad.org or search or ask a rabbi or a rabbitson. And then I would come back with them with more cl- to, with more clarity than I had before. And my parents did become um, observant also. And in many That's ways have- so- Interesting. Past me. <laughs> like my parents are all about bringing Mashiach and adding light to the world. Like in many ways. It's so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, it is. It's really amazing. So you got diagnosed with cancer at some point along this journey. How did this subsequent battle with cancer affect your relationship with Hashem? Like in what ways did it affect you? Yeah, I feel like this really is the question, like how when life happens, like what happens to my paradigm of God? So yeah, for me, it was, yes, this is hard, but it's impossible without Hashem. Meaning Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to complain. Obviously, at this point, I was 18 years old. I was actually in seminary when I was diagnosed and I came home back to Toronto to start treatment. And for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to complain to everyone I know. Why don't I just complain to the the CEO of the universe? Like, why don't I just go to the source of who's causing this whole thing and just like talk to the one in charge? And so meaning, was I angry at Hashem? Sure. Was I confused? Was I hurt? Did I feel like sabotage? Like I felt all the emotions of hurt, like, mm-hmm. you know, life has to offer. But it was like, I'm going to take this to Hashem because why am I going to complain to like Basavadan? Like, why am I going to complain to a human being about this when like I can go to the source and deal with it directly? And for me, like, it really led to a certain understanding of this isn't, I'll tell you, like, one day I was sitting and just, like, feeling sorry for myself. And I just couldn't believe the situation. I was in medically, physically, emotionally, um, mentally, everything. And I started feeling bad for Hashem. Like, Hashem, like, I'm your kid and you're watching me go through this. So even though, like, you know this is going to be good for me and, like, you have the bigger picture – I don't. And you're with me. You're not just f- infinite beyond everything. Like you put yourself inside of my neshama. Like you're with me in this moment. And so like, I'm sorry you have to be with me in this confusion and this heartbreak. And it just shifted from this is something that God's doing to me to, wow, Hashem's like doing this to both of us. So like, Hashem, why yeah. are you doing this to both of us? Like if you're with me in this, then whoa, like why are you choosing this? And it went from this victim mode to this empower mode of this is something that Hashem and I are doing, are doing together. So whatever pain I'm going through, physical, emotional, mental, all of it, it's me and Hashem experiencing it together. Yeah. So you basically kind of shifted your mindset. So how would you like put that into like a practical sort of like someone else who's struggling? How can they sort of try and view their struggles differently? Well, one thing, well, everyone's unique and everyone struggles unique and the different support that we need is unique. And it's really figuring out what do I need to support me Mm-hmm. to really feel connected to Hashem in this. Meaning it's always like, how can I go through this feeling connected to Hashem? Because it's hard, you know, but it's impossible with that. Like I can't without Hashem in this. So whether it's being like finding like the Hashem in a person that you could really talk to, like this is a person that yes. like represents comfort for me. Or you know what? I need to go to the woods and scream <laughs> while I'm in spot. So that's what we do, you know? Or mm-hmm. really like I need Hashem in the ice cream. Like, or I need Hashem in like just being able to cry and feel it or I need a shem in like the way that I can feel like this is going to help other people and 
really like finding where I could feel that Hashem's with me in this. And it's going to look like, it's going to look different for every person, but it's saying, how can I feel like Hashem's with me in this? And then giving ourselves, whether it's spending time or money or energy or asking people for help, but getting what we need to really feel like Hashem's with us in it is so huge. And for Mm -hmm. me, it was really like feeling that this is going to help other people. Like anything Mm -hmm. I'm going through is going to allow me to relate to someone that I couldn't, I couldn't access otherwise because I don't have the same experience. And so finding a way that this isn't just about me and my dark hole. This is about Mashiach, about Hashem. This is about Amisrael. This is about the world and finding a place where it's like this pain actually has that purpose. Like in Hebrew, the word Lama, why? You know, we could ask why over and over. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why do I deserve this? What's going on? But at the end of the day, the word why in Hebrew is Lama for what? Yeah. It's like for what purpose, you know? And so I I have the right to ask why again and again, but it doesn't get me anywhere. So really change that why into what for, for what reason was my soul and my body placed in this exact situation and then connecting to like the purpose of why I'm in this moment. Yeah. So during your um, battle with cancer, you probably also like had to deal with feeling lonely in your situation and Mm-hmm. your friends not feeling like they were with you all the time. So as you were someone who struggled with friends being there for you while you struggled, how would you tell a person to help a friend who is struggling? Rachel, that is such a key question. So I really, this is my two cents on the matter. I could spend all day saying why people are so insensitive and why don't people know the right thing to say and why don't people come at the right time and blah, blah, blah. Or I could be emotionally honest enough and vulnerable enough to tell people how I would like them to show up. This is what I need. Can you do it? You know, this is what I would love. And really taking the time to teach the people around me who care how to be my best friend in the moment, how to show up. And for me, my advice to anyone who wants to be a friend and wants to help someone not feel lonely in that situation is to be honest and say, I don't know how to show up right now. I don't know what to say. I'm probably going to say all the wrong things. I don't know what you need. I'm going to probably offer all the wrong things, but can you teach me how to be there for you right now? Can you let me in and educate me on how to be a friend? And I feel like having that moment of letting the person, because otherwise it's like, you know, let's say I'm going to go visit someone who's not doing well. I'm going to be the chesed lady and I'm going to show up with the cupcakes. And they're the person just receiving. Who knows if they mm-hmm. want the cupcakes? Who knows if they want the visit? And I'm the mishpia versus if I'm going to let them be the mishpia. Be like, hey, I'm a couple here. Like, I don't know what's going on. I need you to be mishpia me. I need you to teach me how to be a friend right now. It's putting the person in the seat of power. And it's giving them the opportunity to learn to ask for what they need. Because a lot of people don't know how. And so they just stay in that lonely state. And when I say that to people, usually they like, they take a good few minutes to think like, whoa, how do I want you to be a friend right now? Because just offering like anything you need, like it's a blank check, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Like, what does yeah. that mean? And so when I ask a person like, how could I be a friend right now? Like, educate me. They'll usually take a few minutes and be like, you know what? There's this one thing that would actually be helpful. And it's empowering them in the conscious of my relationship with them, but also all the relationships being comfortable to ask people specifically for what they need to not feel alone in that situation. Mm-hmm. So I feel like twofold. One, not just feeling like a victim and like expecting everyone to know what I need, being brave enough and vulnerable enough to ask. And also, 
you know, sometimes people get me to call family members that mm-hmm. low lane are, you know, dealing with different illnesses or different challenges. And I also run like a woman's marriage organization. And like, I help lots of different people, with lots of different like challenges. And I mean, thank God, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we all do um, in our own capacity, but it's not like I know what to say just because I w- went through that. Yeah. does not mean that oh, I know this teenage girl that I'm calling knows what no, like what she needs yeah. to do. I have no idea. I'm clueless. So if I'm going to walk in and pretend. I'm just pretending to both of us. Even if I say the right thing, so what? Like I said the right thing. It wasn't coming from them versus when the person asks for what they need. It's just, it's a whole other dynamic. Mm-hmm. So what happened after this battle? Like after you got well, what happened? Like how did you deal with your life? Like what did you do? in the aftermath? So that's a great question. Um, because a lot of times we think like, okay, the challenge is over now what, but really in a big way, that was the beginning of really dealing with my emotional health in a huge Mm -hmm. way, like dealing with PTSD, dealing with learning to trust life again, um, regain that sense of like life is good and light and fun. And so I went to Tzfas. I went to Tzfat. Thank God I'm still here. (laughs) It's like seven years later. Um, and I went to Mokhanalta to study mm-hmm. um, and learned Chassidus. Chassidus is medicine. It's healing. It's potent for the soul. And it was a very mm-hmm. potent medicine for me. And yeah, so I started started a life here. Thank God. That's so amazing. So what can you say to someone who's afraid to take risks because the outcome might not be ideal, even if it might bring joy? I really say like choose faith over fear. Mm-hmm. that the known is known and like you know yeah. like Hashem we had to leave Egypt for God like and it mm-hmm. was hard it says that Hashem will always love us for the big change that we made and that mm-hmm. change was leaving Egypt like leaving Egypt was leaving prison like why is that so hard but it is hard to leave something yeah. that's known seems impossible sometimes but really knowing that like we have like this myth of like going to the land of Israel. And for that, it's like it's each and one of ours like personal land of Israel, like going out of our Gullah state into our own personal Gula. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I'm not just doing it for me, like yeah. living a personal Gula and getting out of a stuck state or stuck mindset and taking that like leap of faith of like, I'm going to the land of Israel. Like I'm getting myself to a better place. I'm going to go and try to have that better experience. I'm going to go try to, you know, be friends with these people that even though it might blow up in my face like trying but I'm gonna go try it. I'm gonna apply for that school or whatever it is that you feel like is part of your personal gula and you make that stride yeah. towards it there's no failure because mm-hmm. you just learn that you can try and you didn't die like no one died like I felt uncomfortable yeah. I felt awkward felt shame still alive and that's like one more like ball that you put in your basket like if you've experienced it you experience the falling in your face and you're like I'm still alive but making mm-hmm. these strides towards our personal gula it's empowering. It's like, wait a second. Why am I doing this? Why am I letting myself have my best life possible? Because Hashem lives with me. Whatever I experience, Hashem experiences. If I'm living the same day in, day out, and I'm not satisfied, Hashem's with me in that experience. And mm-hmm. I'm really, truly enjoying the most delicious ice cream. Hashem's enjoying it with me. If yeah. I'm in relationships that are not good for me, Hashem's there. If I'm making relationships that are gula relationships for me with the most amazing friends, Hashem's with me in that. And so it's, if I wouldn't even do it for myself, do it for God's quality of life because Hashem's with me in that. Okay, that's a really nice answer. (laughs) Um, In a world full of having, how can someone turn their jealousy into gratitude? Wow, so... 
First of all, knowing that jealousy is normal. Jealousy does not make you a bad person. You have two souls. Mm -hmm. Great information to know, right? And I learned that. I'm like, oh my gosh, it makes more sense to myself. Thank you, Alter Eva. Like, we have two souls. There's part of me that's going to be happy for other people. And there's part of me that is going to go to the jealousy. And just knowing I'm not the jealousy. I'm experiencing jealousy. But as soon as I'm experiencing something, I'm not it. I'm experiencing anger. Experiencing sad. I'm not it. So just knowing like you're not the jealousy and don't shame yourself for feeling jealous. Like normal human animal soul emotion, end of story. Like that's a okay. You know, the question is, I want to live my personal gula and I don't want to, I don't want to stay in that place. And so I can just speak from my own experience. So part of the cancer journey was that it caused like subsequent um fertility challenges. Yeah. Um, in terms of having children. And so I would like look at my friends and even just people in the street and like, wow, everyone gets a baby except for me. It looks like they're being handed out like hotcakes. Like everyone's yeah. having their first, second kid, their third kid. Like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And I really was in this state of constantly battling the jealousy. And I love the question you said about how do you shift that to gratitude? Because that's exactly what it was for me. Like before, I felt like everyone else had something and I was missing out. And just mm-hmm. from making the conscious effort of really focusing on the blessings in my life. Not even though I don't have a baby, I have ABCD. No, just focusing on the blessings in my life and allowed me to, and not the blessings like I want one day and don't worry, they're coming. No, the blessings that are present that I can look at and point at in my life that were Mm -hmm. there the whole time that I wasn't focusing on made me feel so rich, like ridiculously rich, like rich that like, I don't want to talk about some of the blessings in my life because I don't want someone else to be jealous. Like it totally yeah. shifted the wheels of like, I feel, you know, when you like have a little secret to yourself and you're like, yeah, I don't want to everyone. Cause like, yeah, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to like fly to Florida tomorrow morning, be by the pool. I'm like, you don't want to tell everyone. Cause like, it's a little too good to be true. Like yeah. getting feeling in my life. Like I wake up and I'm like, this is my life. Like, this is so fun. Like, thank you, Hashem. And it's the same life. Nothing changed. It's just yeah. being able to focus on that. And now, like, really, like, even I, I journal every day. Um, One of the first things in the morning is write three pages of, like, a brain dump. It's called mm-hmm. Morning Pages. And I was like, wow, Shem, like, thank you for, like, all the time that I have to, like, focus on, like, the Google projects that I've got to work on today. And in the past, I would have been like, I wish I had a baby. Like, I'm blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I'm just focusing on, like, what I get to do with this time and this energy. So I really feel like focusing on the blessings that I have make us so ridiculously rich that we're like, wait, I don't want other people to be jealous of me because you feel mm-hmm. like you feel like it's too good to be true. And at the same time, noticing if you feel jealous, doesn't make you a bad person. It's a feeling. It's an yeah. animal soul. And it's so normal. That's, that's really like, I find that gratitude, once I notice, like if I'm in a bad mood, if I notice that, if I start noticing the things that make my life good it just changes my perspective because I start focusing giving the mental energy to the good things rather than the bad things so yes, thank you you experience that and also it's not like like it's not like guilt like oh I shouldn't be jealous mm-hmm. I have so many other blessings it's like yeah just that's true it's true that I feel jealous about that thing okay fine mm-hmm. but what else can I be focusing on mm-hmm. so What's a simple step that someone can take to have more meaning and joy in their life? Okay. So specifically something that I find helpful to add more joy and meaning to like to my life when when challenges are well, twofold. One, which is when life is good, it's just yeah. enjoying it. Just like not feeling like, oh no, I shouldn't have this, or just like really realizing this is coming from a shem and like the sun's hitting my face in the moment, I'm gonna feel it. Or like, Mm -hmm. I'm just laughing with friends right now and I'm just going to let myself feel it. And like, 
not feeling guilty for enjoying, but like really giving into the pleasure of that. It's like, there's yeah. so much, like, like we're saying, there's so many things to be grateful for and I can make a whole list and not feel happy. It's taking yeah. a minute. Like, I'm going to actually let myself enjoy this right now. Like forget about everything on the gratitude list. Choose one thing and like his point of news, like meditate, like go into it. Like the same way when something's bothering me, I know how to do this point of news. I'll think about it again and again and again until I have dust and I'm completely miserable. But like do yeah. it for the positive. Like think yeah. that that one thing, I have teeth. I woke up this morning. I have one good friend in my life. And just like going into the sweetness and really like thinking of all the details of it just adds so much joy to like mm-hmm. the daily life. And it's not like I have to do something for a dopamine like pickup. Like it's it's here. You know, sometimes you're like enjoying something so much. You're like, hey, when do I actually get to enjoy it? Like yeah. you're at a symbol. You're like, oh my gosh, yay, it's the Bedeckin. Oh my gosh, yay, it's the Chubba. Oh my gosh, yay, it's the photos. Oh my gosh, yay. It's like, when do I get to enjoy? Like, I'm never yeah. going to get to my life unless I let myself enjoy it. So it's yeah. taking those moments and like, you know, those long five-hour events and just like, right now, I'm just going to take it in. So for me, mm-hmm. I think that adds a lot of joy and also meaning because it's connection. Like we always say, like, I want to be more connected to Hashem. What about mm-hmm. just receiving his offering? Just like taking in the yeah. good that he's giving. I like that. I really like that. So just to take life as it comes and just let yourself be in the moment. Um, you have an amazing life story. Um, what made you decide to share it with the world and put it into the public? Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you, Hashem, <laughs> for a cool life story. Um, yeah. So I specifically like writing this, writing Jumping in Puddles, like writing this journey of my life up to that point really gave me a lot of purpose. So for me, like, I felt like it was a cosmic event. Like I was, had just gone in this whole journey of like Chuva and was now 18 at home in active cancer treatment. And I was like, this must be like the beginning of this incredible story. Like I felt like I was in the midst of something epic and like, it kind of felt exciting, like scary and whatever, but also exciting. And so for me, writing my story as I went through, gave me a feeling of this isn't just something that's happening to me. This is something that's happening through me. Like I'm supposed to experience these things and find Hashem in these dark, scary moments and be able to offer that for people. And for me, like writing it while it was hard was very important to me. Like I told myself, I'm not allowed to go back when like life is perfect again and whatever, when life is all glossy and go add nice inspirational fluff. No, anything I can actually be inspired by and feel Hashem in my life in this challenge, I can put in the book and anything Mm -hmm. else, it's for my diary. And for me, like that mentality of like, this is a journey I want to be able to share. It gave me the impetus. Like it gave yeah. me the motive, inspiration to find the inspiration that was yeah. there. And also I feel like sharing one story. And for me, it's through writing. It could be through song. It could be through poetry. It could be through just talking about it. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like sharing our stories makes it feel like it's not just my story. This is Ami Israel's yeah. story. Like it's yeah. not just me and my problem. It's no, this is like, it says about like, um, like the Shvatim, like if they knew that this is going to be recorded for Torah at all time, maybe things would have been a little, you know, like we yeah. didn't know it's going to be recorded for all time. The same thing with our stories, like our stories are recorded for all time. Like Hashem takes our life seriously and mm-hmm. being able to like share it makes us also take our story seriously. This is not just me and my little life, but wow, this is a powerful journey that Hashem's a part of and I get to share it with other people. Mm-hmm. So in another part of your writing, you in your articles that you write for Chabad.org, you always infuse a real life challenge or situation with Tara emphasis, and that cha- tends to like change your perspective. I find that like really inspiring, like genuinely. 
Um, how did you come to this point and what is something practical that I or our listeners can do to make Tara part of their lives? Thank you. Wow. Thank you for reading my stuff. I appreciate that. That's so nice. <laughs> so really, for me, it's like, you know, when you're like in the middle of a stressful situation, it's even hard to think. Mm-hmm. And so I like to have the pieces of Hasidus that I know touch me. Um, like Hasidus, it's medicine and it's food. And when you're in the middle of like a hard moment, like you might not be able to start thinking of like the most elaborate dish to prepare. You're just like, I need something. And so it's having like you're like granola bars of Hasidus, like the things that like yeah. speak to you and grab. So for me, it's like having the books around that I can learn in that moment, like Hasidus in plain English, like bringing heaven down to earth, wisdom to heal the earth, like goods free Freeman stuff or certain articles like I have pinned um, or like certain sikhas, like I know I can read it in English. It's not going to be complicated. And, and I know it touches me. And so when mm-hmm. I'm learning something and it's like, I'm not in a challenging moment and I just like savor it. I'm like, yeah, this is gold. Yeah. Then when I'm in a hard moment, I can pull it out and I can look at it. I can be refreshed. I can get back into that consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's just knowing that like Torah is divine communication and a challenge yeah. is Hashem speaking to me. So if Hashem speaking to me through this challenge, I need also like the Hasidus down the good. Like I need the Torah communication. And so I can't really overcome this challenge if I don't know what the Torah has to say about this. Mm-hmm. And so learning Hasidus when I'm in those places, for me, it's, it's like the light. It's like, this is how I'm going to navigate myself through this and not just survive it, but I, I can thrive through it if I if I have that light of Torah. Um, yeah. So I think sometimes it's learning something that's like, you feel like it would be good, like in a hard moment and just like bookmarking it and, and having it for those moments. And for me also, it's writing. Like, mm-hmm. like when I write, I know I feel like this natural like feeling of like a childlike feeling of like, you know, everything like stories have a happy ending, right? You're writing fiction, yeah. stories have a happy ending. So when I start writing something, I'm like, hey, well, where's the happy ending? Like if I'm writing about my yeah. day and it's a hard day, so where's the happy ending? And then bringing those pieces of Hasidus in, like it, <laughs> usually I'm just publishing my diary, <laughs> like yeah. to be honest. Um, and so it's just like oh well this piece of chassidus this is the happy ending this is and happy endings don't mean everything worked out exactly as I wanted them to look like no mm-hmm. that's just my ego's happy ending the happy ending means I found the light I found the spark of chassidus that can guide me through this I found the thread that the abishur is with me that's that's the happy ending yeah so prayer is an integral part of life that my generation I know sometimes has a hard time connecting to how can someone turn prayer from a chore into a commandment they enjoy fulfilling? Amazing. So this is a question I have to ask myself also. Definitely. <laughs> like you said, um, yeah. it's very relatable. So really, prayer is intimacy. Hey, mm-hmm. it is called a kiss between us and Hashem. I'm supposed to be enjoying this experience. Like, I'm not supposed to. I, there's an opportunity to enjoy Hashem in prayer. Hashem's enjoying me and yeah. I'm enjoying him. So this whole thing of I have to be governing all of chakras, I have to say all of these words, and I have to have lots of kavana, puts a lot of stress on the moment. Like it kind of kills the moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm like, I'm just showing up to a show with Hashem right now. My sitter's open, my heart's open. Like Hashem, Hashem Sivatak like speak through me. Like I want to connect. And mm-hmm. even even because say Hashem, I don't feel like I'm in the mood to daven right now. I don't feel anything. I don't even know if you exist, but it's just talking. And through yeah. the talking, something happens. And it's really just being like, I want prayer to, I want this to be a pleasurable experience. And so yeah. even opening like all the Mepharshim of Hasidus on davening, which is endless. It's amazing. Just yeah. using our own heart for a moment. And like, 
looking at one prayer and saying, okay, right, today I'm going to make poker ivry meaningful to me. I'm going to translate it to my heart. Okay, so yeah. the blessing of opens my eyes. Okay, so I can close my eyes and walk across the room and be like, wow, okay, I have das. Like, thank you, Hashem, for opening my eyes. Thank you that I can see. And having that visceral, real experience of like, wow, like I'm saying this prayer and I'm actually feeling it. It doesn't take that much work. So Kef Kefafim, thank you for a spinal cord. Like just bending down and standing back up and being like, wow, like it's amazing I can move. Mm-hmm. The, the prayers are written in a relatable way, but it takes a moment to make it relatable to our own heart and our own being where we are. So I feel like it's valuing that prayer was always meant to be this intimate moment of me and God. And no one yeah. can come along, you're davening right, you're davening wrong. No, this is a moment of intimacy. And letting go of I'm not davening right or I should be enjoying this more. You know, like you're at a simcha and you're like, oh my gosh, I should be enjoying this more. Yeah. Like it can't like just enjoy. It's okay. As much as you're enjoying is you're enjoying. Like just be mm-hmm. there. So just like I'm showing up my sitter. Let me feel good about that. Like think about it. If all the people in the universe, here you are, teenage girl, taking time to open your sitter and actually care about God and care about the relationship. Let mm-hmm. yourself feel good about that. Like praise yourself. Like, wow. Like literally give yourself a happy dance and a round of applause and a lollipop like wow I'm actually care about this relationship enough to open a sitter when I don't feel it and as soon as we Mm -hmm. praise ourselves guess what just happened the animal soul is like I love this thing called prayer meaning Mm -hmm. what happens we bring our animal soul to prayer and I tell myself like I'm not doing it well enough I should have more kavana and blah 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 and my animal soul is like this is boring like here I am spending 40 minutes doing something I don't like and I don't get credit Versus yeah. if I just tell myself, wow, good job for showing up. Thank you for showing up. Like talk to the animal soul and let it know that like, you appreciate it showing up. The animal soul is going to be like, well, this is great. Like where else mm-hmm. do I get so much? I mean, and then that actually involves the animal soul. Mm-hmm. And then we get fired up because that's where all our passion is. Thank you. Um, you have articles on Chabad.org that where you write about your husband's journey with depression and anxiety. What has his journey or your journey together taught you about choosing happiness thank you okay so it is it has taught me a tremendous amount to share a few things right now one is that happiness is really it's letting a shem into the body it's mm-hmm. really good before like taking those moments to actually experience shem and so happiness might not look like I'm jumping up and down the most energetic person in the room. But when I get that A on that test or that B and I expected the D and I just take that moment, I feel it in my gut, like this like explosion of energy of like, yes, giving that to Hashem and just like spending that moment with Hashem. Like, you know, when you get good news and you want to call everyone, like calling yeah. Hashem and like letting our body experience it because when our nervous system is just getting all the time negative feedback, like it's just getting, I'm yeah. not good enough and nothing's going right. It doesn't have anything to go off of like happiness. What are you talking about? But mm-hmm. versus when I just take that moment of goodness and I, I take it from a moment and I explode it. Like I really let my body experience it because Judaism really is all about experiencing Hashem in the physical, right? And this is what we have. Like this body is the Kodesh Kodesh that Hashem gave us. And so really like bringing that sensation and like, Feelings are sensation. We call it joy. We call it happy. Yeah. It's a sensation. And maybe someone feels that joy in their chest and someone maybe feels it in yeah. their stomach and someone feels it in their face, but it's not just a word. It's a visceral sensation in our body. And so my husband's mm-hmm. journey is really like everything he's learned about the nervous system and somatic has really taught me to, when I have that good moment, I get that good news before I just go into yeah. the next thing, talking about it, really experiencing it in my body, which is really experiencing it with Hashem. Mm-hmm. So 
that's one thing that's been huge. And the other thing is really following my own advice. Um, You know, when someone's depressed, someone's feeling anxious, there's so much advice you want to give the person because you love them and you want to help them, whether it's a friend or a sibling or a spouse. And be like, so like, let's say I want to say to my husband, think happy thoughts. Like, okay, when's the last time I thought happy thoughts? Make a graduate, my own graduate Go hang out with people, make you happy. I can do the same thing. And just knowing that like the greatest thing I can offer someone is an environment of joy. And it's something I can't fake. Like it's something like if I, like what does it mean to be the Karis Abias? It's the mainstay of the home. It's the mainstay of my inner home. If I'm yeah. present in my own inner world and I can cultivate that joy, then that's something I can offer. And mm-hmm. really, really the idea that joy, happiness is my responsibility. No one is in charge of making me happy. Not my husband, not my friends, not the world, not even Shem. It's my paper. It's my business. It's my job. And Hashem can add to my simcha. My husband can add to my simcha. My friends can add to my simcha in ways that only they can that are so special and beautiful. But but if I don't give it to myself, if I don't take responsibility for my happiness, no one can make me happy. Kind of like the vessel. Like taking responsibility for my happiness is the vessel. And once the vessel is built, everyone can add. But taking that responsibility is... um. It's life-changing. So how can you be happy even when you don't have what you want? Oof, this is the question. So how can a person be happy even when they don't have what they want? So what I found in my experience is that anything I want, it's really what do I want? I want the emotion underneath it. I want the feeling. I want that rush of joy. I want that belief about myself. There's something I want that I think that thing's going to give me. Like, let's say I want a new puppy. Okay, so I don't have what I want, but I want the puppy. Why do I really want the puppy? Because I want to feel so excited when I walk through the door. So that feeling of excitement is something that's accessible in the moment. So even though I can't necessarily have that thing, I can have the feeling underneath it, which in truth is what I always want, Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean we shouldn't want things. It's great to want things. But if I want something because I think it's going to give me that certain emotion, there's a lot of hype. And then I get it. And I'm like really happy for like two minutes or like two days or two years. And then, well, what's next? Yeah. And so if I can give myself what I want now, I can give myself the emotion and energy behind it. Then I'm not in that emotionally starved place. And I can actually like pursue that thing, but I can pursue it like with a clarity and a calmness. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, you know what? There's a quick meditation I can do if you want that we could um, try out. What do you think? Sure. Thank you, Rachel. I'm so happy you're into it. Okay, awesome. <laughs> so, Rachel, anyone who's listening, just think about something in your life that you genuinely want. Something mm-hmm. tangible, physical, an event, a certain friendship, a certain thing of an Amazon package arriving at your door, whatever it mm-hmm. is. And now just gently close your eyes. Take a nice deep breath. <sighs> And notice your stomach expand as you breathe in and deflate as you breathe out. Just feel Hashem holding you in this moment, the goodness of this moment. And now picture yourself at that moment where you get that thing that you want. And muzzle tove, picture yourself enjoying it, loving it. See that huge smile on your face. Notice how good your hair looks. Notice what you're wearing. Notice maybe other people are congratulating you and celebrating with you. Or it's just this quiet inner moment of knowing, I made it. And then that moment of experiencing, of really getting what you want, just notice what's the emotion that's there. 
happy, relaxed, relieved. Name the emotion. When I get there, I will feel blank. And now dropping into the body, dropping into the Kodesh Kadoshim, the holiest thing we got. And just notice where does that feel inside of you? Meaning if you're going to experience happiness when you get there, is happiness in your head? Is it in your heart, in your chest? Notice where inside of you it lives. Get in touch. And now just checking in. When you get to that moment, when you get what you want, what are you going to believe about yourself? I'm worth it. I'm lovable. Life works out for me. I can be happy. I can relax. Just notice what's the belief about myself I get when I get to that moment. And now just taking a moment to notice or actually your feet after me style. Anyone listening, you could say it to yourself in your room. I give myself permission. I give myself permission. To feel this. To feel this. Right here. Right here. Right now. Right now. Amazing. And just noticing how whatever that feeling is I want to feel when I get to that moment, it's here. Because we just experienced it. We already gave it to ourselves. Right? Hashem's so kind. I'm like, no, I have to wait till I get there. And Hashem's like, it's right here, my child. I want you to experience it. And just as an exercise, noticing whatever it is you want to believe about yourself when you get to that moment, yeah. also notice here. Wow. So really, we have the power to give ourselves or the feelings behind whatever we want. And the things that we actually want are just the material side. I really enjoyed that. Um, thank you so much for coming on today and giving all this advice and helpful insights. Thank you guys for listening.